let's get into the word with the whole uh, uh, 25 minutes left. Who's got faith? No, it wasn't much noise then. <laughs> I'll, talk, I'll talk fast. I'll put myself on full speed mode. We're going through the book of Romans as a church, and I'm loving it because it's real simple. Romans makes it real simple, and we're up to Romans chapter 4. Uh, and uh, the, the book of Romans is split into five parts that I've identified, and we're in part two because we're up to chapter 4. God's forgiveness is what we're talking about. And, uh, and uh, Abe's faith, it's going to refer to a few different examples of people's faith in the Bible. That's what Romans chapter 4 does. It focuses on this. It focuses on wages versus a gift. And so some of you might roll your eyes and go, oh, I know what that means. But you know what? Some of us need a fresh revelation that we don't have to earn God's favor. We don't have to work hard to please him. We don't have to do the right things and tick all the boxes and then God will love us. No, 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 no. God's grace, God's salvation through Jesus Christ is a gift to you and me. And if it's a gift, that means you don't earn it. If you work hard for it and, and, and you expect to receive it, well, it's no longer a gift, it's wages. So we're going to talk about that today. And the other thing is uh, works versus faith. You know, if I go out and just do a bunch of stuff, well, God will favor me. Well, works are important, but faith is ultimate. If you don't have faith, faith without works is dead, the Bible teaches us. So you've got to have faith. That's a belief in what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And having faith, then we go and do about our Father's business and you watch what he does in your life. So that's what we're going to touch on today. So let's watch this. There once were two little boys who were best friends. They played together, went to school together, they even went to university together. They were inseparable. Until their careers took them in very different directions. One became a lawyer, the other a criminal. As one was promoted to a judge, the other disappeared deeper and deeper into the line of crime. Eventually, the criminal was caught and sent to trial. On the fateful day in the courtroom, he came face to face with his old best friend, the judge. And so, the judge had a dilemma. He loved his friend, but he had to do justice. So, he fined him the appropriate penalty for the offence. It was a huge fine. There was no way he could ever afford to pay what he owed. But then, the judge took off his robes, went down, stood with his friend, and wrote out a cheque covering the cost. He paid the penalty himself. And that really is a picture of what Christ has done for you and for me. Our penalty is death. And... Uh, the only way we can afford to pay that is with our life. But Jesus came that we would have life. He gave his life as the payment, like the check that was written, so that we didn't have to endure the punishment of death. But we have to choose him. We have to have faith in him and trust in his finished work. And so Romans chapter 4, this is what it's all about. And, and you notice across the world, and even in some Christian circles, definitely not in this church, but some people make light of sin. They make light of it, you know, not here, but everywhere else. Um, you know, after all, we're only human. You know, we're only human. We're going to make mistakes. So, you know, that, that's life. And Or, or they, if you get rebuked or someone comes up and corrects you uh, about a sin, then you're quick to say, well, quit being so self-righteous. Who made you the judge and the jury and, and all of those things? Yeah. Why do we sometimes have 
uh, not us, others, have a lax attitude towards sin. And, and, and it's devastating consequences because it's huge. But we just we just downplay it. Oh, maybe it's the Aussie culture. I don't know. She'll be right, mate. It's all good. You know. Uh, in Jesus' conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, uh, he came to Jesus one night to discuss spiritual matters. Jesus reminded this educated man, Nicodemus was very educated, but he said this, This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See, Romans chapter 4, that we're starting today and we'll finish another time, uh, we move into one of the most exciting discussions of faith and its extraordinary importance in both initiating the experience of salvation and its continuing work in what's called sanctification. And we're going to explore that. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. That tells you enough about faith that you need it. It's important. So let's get into it. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says this. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, we're on the theme of a courtroom. Well, this is our um, first affidavit. It's like a, a speech or uh, an oral presentation of truth, um, or it can be written. Uh, a presentation of truth from a reputable source. Well, our source is the Bible. I don't think there's any more reputable source of information than the Holy Scriptures. So now we're talking about the first affidavit, our forefather Abraham is referenced in the Scripture. So uh, it's very clever. You know, knowing that the Jews loved to boast about Abraham because they, they, they boasted about him as their, as their father, well, Paul suggests going back to the story of Abraham to see what it says about justification. He does it so eloquently and brilliantly. See, if Abraham had been justified by works, which we know isn't true, and nothing could be further from the truth, he would have had the right to boast only before the people, not before God. He could have boasted and said, well, I did this and I did that, and that's why God made me this big promise. Well, where is creatures and our rightful place, our happiest place, is actually under God. God over the top is the covering, overarching, you know, Saviour and Lord and Father and all those things over the top of us, rather than us walking, I guess, in tandem with God and, you know, I've done all of this and I've made myself great and so that's why I'm getting favour. So it's all about surrendering under the covering of God and to do that, we can't boast about works. Because if it's about works, then we can boast. But it's not about us boasting. It's about us coming under the authority of the Most High. Uh, verse 3 says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So now we're inspecting Scripture. We're looking at the truth. And Paul's asking, it's a loaded question. As I like, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with Paul. He was very clever how he words things. And so he's asking a loaded question and puts the ball back in the Jews' court. And, and, and he says, what does the scripture say? Uh, he then took them back to Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 6. And the moment Abraham took God at his word and God declared him righteous. So Abraham did not do anything to earn this declaration. He didn't do anything to please God to get that said to him. He simply believed. He simply had faith that the word of God was truth. And this is the doctrine of justification through faith. 
he's justified, not because of his works or actions, but because of his faith and his belief. Abraham's faith counted him as righteous long before he was circumcised, long before God had given the law to Israel. This would have been further evidence to the Jews that they were placing unwarranted confidence on the wrong things. Their confidence was in the act of circumcision, the act of following the law, the act of doing the right thing. And if I do those things, well, God will be pleased uh, with me. And so it's not about any of those things. It's simply about your statement of belief and faith and where are you investing your heart? Is your heart invested in the things that you do and the things that you walk through and the life that you lead? Or is your heart invested in God and the things that he leads you through, the doors that he opens for you? You can see the different perspective, right? It's very easy to become this proud and, you know, well, I've done this and I've made these good choices and aren't I, good, aren't I a good Christian? But it's nothing to do with that. It's actually a level playing field for us all because all we need to do, all of us, is simply choose to follow Jesus. Simply choose to consult God on all matters. Not just the ones that we let him in on, but everything. Everything. Because sometimes we hold on to a few, don't we? Just tuck that away in my pocket because God, I just, you know, I want to be in control of that situation. No, 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 no. God wants all of us. And so that's why it's a level playing field. We've all got that option and that choice uh, to, to follow Jesus and allow him to be the covering, the Lord of our life. See, justification is the sovereign act of God where he declares righteous the believing sinner while he is still in a sinning state. And so even though we are sinners, we still trust in the finished work of Jesus. So even though Abraham, after believing and being justified, would continue to sin from time to time, he wasn't made perfect after that moment of the promise that God spoke over him. But God heard Abraham when he said, I believe you. I believe you. And God credited divine righteousness to his account. Transaction done. God's looking for your belief. God's looking for your faith. He's looking for you to trust in him always, no matter what. Paul said that grace was something that Abraham found. Uh, and conversion has a characteristic of, I don't know, excitement or maybe even ecstasy around it. There's nothing quite like the moment you gave your life to Jesus. Can you think back to that time? Man, it was like you were on the... I've talked to drug addicts, and we're not all drug addicts here, I don't think so. Um, but we, <laughs> I've talked to drug addicts who have come out of drug addiction into, uh, into salvation in Jesus, and they say it's the best high that they ever have, they've ever encountered. And I say that in a respectful way. It's not like we're all on drugs because we're coming out after Jesus. Woo! Uh, but it's just an awesome feeling to know that you've got a saviour. To know that you haven't had to earn it. To know that it's a free gift. It, it, it's incredible. So like Abraham, we discover that it is by grace and not by our works. It's by grace. When we believe God credits our spiritual account with righteousness. And Abraham received what he did not deserve and he was unable to earn. There was nothing he could do to get that promise from the Lord over his life. The object of a godly faith is simply God alone. Eyes fixed on him. And so Abraham believed God. My encouragement to you and anyone online today, have faith in God. Even if you're going through the most difficult, challenging storm or, or, or stuff's getting, the, the bills are piling up or the pressure's on you, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Seek him. Verse 4. Let's go. Now to him who works 
The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. It's talking about the works now. Paul is making a clear distinction between gifts and wages, and he uses the analogy of working for wages. Most of us can relate to that. We've all probably had a job at some point. So you know what working for wages means. You don't get your pay packet and then all of a sudden it's a, uh, you know, in, in a fancy bit of paper with a row, a bow tied around it like a Christmas or a birthday gift and your boss comes up to you and goes, here you go. Now, it's not like that, is it? Now, these days you don't even get given a paycheck anymore. It's just boom, it's in your bank account and done. But it's not a gift. That, you've earned that money. That's a wage. You've worked hard. Probably some of you have worked overtime. Some of you have probably worked more time than you've claimed because you're a nice person. Not I'd be claiming it, but anyway, it's all good. Uh, but some of you have worked so many hours, but you've got your pay packet. That's your wage. And I think you understand the distinction between wage and gift. But see, if we attempt in any way to apply our works to our salvation, work to please God, work to get his favour, work to... If we try and do that, uh, then the truth of the gospel is defiled. We don't need a saviour. If we can work hard to earn God's favour, well, what did we need Jesus for? We could just make a solid decision to just be good people and do the right thing and, and then God will favour us and forgive us. There's only one work that we can count on and that is the work of Christ on the cross. That finished work that Jesus has completed for you and for me, that's the only thing we can rely on, count on, lean on. Our faith in what Jesus has done is what sets us free. You know, with God, the economy is altogether different, and we've learned that through the video we watched today. There's, there's no wage relationship with God. Spiritually speaking, you and I haven't earned anything but death, to be honest. As sinful humans, we've earned death. Woo! But praise God that he sent his son Jesus, like it or not, you know, without Jesus, we're absolutely bankrupt. We have nothing. Without eternal hope, without spiritual merit, we have nothing without Jesus. There's so many different ways that you can serve God, but to serve him, you've got to begin with faith. You've got to begin with that foundation of trusting and believing in Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, paid the price, just like the guy who wrote the check, because no one else could pay that price except for God, and he sent Jesus to do that for us. We have to stand on that promise today. And, uh, and that is what faith is all about, having a, a, a position of faith in your life. All right, verse 6. Let's go. And he believed. Uh, oh, this is Genesis. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. Belief came first. That's the point I wanted to make there. Belief came first. It wasn't circumcision or following the law or wearing the right tunic or it's none of that. It was all about believing and having faith in God. And then the promise from God to Abraham flowed and came. All right, now we'll keep going. Verse 5 to 8. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Okay, so here's our second affidavit, our second bit of evidence in the book of Romans, chapter 4, and it's talking about David. Paul brings his second powerful witness. 
And uh, David was a man after God's own heart, the scripture tells us. And he reminds the people in Rome that David speaks of this same truth, that faith saves apart from the law. Faith saves apart from the law. So it wasn't about pleasing and satisfying a list of requirements. It's about having faith. The focus is faith. Those who oppose this great truth say we must satisfy the justice of God by our works. And we know that those people are lost. Uh, here again we find God crediting righteousness to a Jewish forefather apart from his spiritual accomplishments. So it wasn't, well, David, you know, slayed the giant and, and led the kingdom and killed a lion, killed a bear, all of those things he did before Goliath. Now, he doesn't rave about those things because none of those things matter. Because without God, he couldn't have done those things. God empowered David. That's why God called David a man after his own heart because the spirit of the Lord was upon him to do all the things that he uh, was called to do. David was profoundly blessed with the knowledge of his forgiveness. That's what the justification does. It assures us we are forgiven. It assures you. That's what justification is. No matter what you do, no matter what sin you commit, no matter how far away you go from God, God's forgiveness is always available to you. Now, David repeatedly puts this concept in his feelings through songs and prayers, and you read the book of Psalms, and it's just, it's real funny because you can see the humanity of David. A lot of the Psalms start with, Praise you, God, you're so awesome and wonderful. And, oh, but woe is me. I've walked through the valley and all this bad stuff. This enemies are surrounding me, and life is so miserable and terrible. And God, where are you? But then, God, you come, and there's breakthrough and victory, and I conquer my enemies all because of what you are doing in my life. That's how a general psalm will work, you know, praising, the lamenting, navel-gazing, and back to praising again. Justification is a great part of the battle for truth when you go through that process. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult when you're in a valley. There are people in the room today that are in a valley, and, and life's hard. You're facing a challenge, and, and, you know, Anita and I have had our fair share of challenges. We've gone through them, so we can relate. You go through a difficult season, it's tough. It's tough. You've got to just try and demonstrate that I'm holding on to faith and my trust is in Jesus, but it's hard. And that's why we have a church family. You know, praise God for all of you to get around one another and support one another, lift up each other's hands when their hands are hanging low. That's what we're here for, isn't it? That's what, that's what, otherwise, why would we, what makes us different to any other club? You know, the RSL club or the, yeah, I know we, we like the Ross and Sally Lounge, but the, but the you know the, the the Red Lions, the Lions Club, or the you know they're, they're just a bunch of people gathering as well. But what makes us different is the power of the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of you to give you wisdom and discernment and to encourage one another and edify and build up one another in Jesus' name. That's what the church is all about. You know, the basis of salvation by grace is the finished work of Jesus Christ. If that's all you remember today, just take that one home. That's the basis of our salvation, the finished work of Christ. It's the instrument, and the instrument to that is our faith. Nothing else is allowed. Nothing else will gain you favour. Nothing else will have God move in your life. Only faith. Trusting in Him. You know, picture yourself standing before God in heaven's great courtroom, and, and God looks around and says, There is none righteous, no, not one. That's in the Scriptures. What do you say in your defence? Crickets. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. What can you say? You're speechless. You know the judge has spoken the truth. 
Your heart begins racing. It's pumping now because you're like, how do I get out of this? But wait, then a chair creaks. And who's that? It's a lawyer. He takes his place between you and the judge and he looks at you with burning love in his eyes and he faces the judge on your behalf. May it please the court, Father. The defendant has put his faith not in himself, not in the law, not in riches, he says confidently. The defendant whom I love has put his faith in me. Your lawyer is Jesus. And he's standing in the gap between you and the judge. And the judge says, very well. The judge says, on the basis of your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, I hereby pronounce you not guilty. That's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. The heart palpitations stop and it's all good. Uh, Augustine reminds us that God gave by grace because he gave to sinners so that they, by faith they might live justly. That is, do good works. Paul saw the underpinning of God's justification as grace undiluted, unadulterated grace. It's a gift. You can't afford that lawyer that just stood in the gap between you and God. Who's got to spare thirty, dollars $50,000 to pay for a lawyer? But Jesus comes and takes that penalty in price and pays it on your behalf. How good is that? How good is that? All right. We're getting there. 4 verses 9 to 11. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That's important. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised. There's a lot of circumcision going on there. But let me explain it. Let me explain the point that he's making. The Jews put their trust in the outward sign of circumcision. And we've talked about this before. They put their trust in that act, in that it's like a ritual. And they think if they do this, I'm on the pathway to pleasing the Lord. But ignoring that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness 14 or 15 years before he was circumcised. So the two aren't connected. So that's the, that's the, I guess that's the argument. I love Paul. I'd love him to be a lawyer in a courtroom for me. But he points out that this ritual that you guys hold so dear, well, when, let's look back at Abraham, who you hold in such high regard, and let's look at what God's done in his life before he'd done any of those things that you hold as such, in such importance, which like getting circumcised. You know, circumcision was merely a sign. To Abraham and to the world that Abraham had been set apart for God. And it's kind of similar to baptism today. When we get baptised, are you saved because you're baptised? No. Not at all. It's a beautiful outward expression of your public, making a public confession of your faith. But your salvation is not tied to that baptism. If you choose not to get baptised, well, that's between you and God. and No one's going to make you get dunked under the water. Uh, and that's fine. But what matters is your heart. What matters is, is your heart fully surrendered to Christ? Has he saved you? Have you allowed him to come in and be the Lord of your life? That's where salvation matters. What is our faith in? Our faith is in Christ, not in the waters of baptism. And I'm not knocking baptism. We baptize people. And we love to do it because it's a public declaration of what God's already done inside you. Okay. So that's similar to circumcision. There's nothing wrong with getting circumcised. But if you put power in that thing, 
that's where that's where it becomes wrong. If you think, well, I'm God's favoured because I'm circumcised, well, you've got the wrong idea and the wrong picture. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. The point he's making here is that faith leads to the blessing of God. Trust in the Lord and making him your Lord is what allows you to live in the overflow that we've talked about today. He's the God of all. And when we come under that covering, nothing is too hard for the Lord. It doesn't matter what you face, you can go to him and he will provide. It's a different economy. And and if you're considering your first fruits of what can I do or what if I, here's my budget and here's, you know, I, I just ask you, maybe dabble in a little bit of faith. Like, don't be crazy and silly. You've got to be wise as well. It's a fine balance that you've got to walk. You've got to use wisdom. You've got to exercise faith as well. If you can do something in your own strength, do you need God to help you do that? No, no. And so when you add faith, there's got to be a little bit of element of, well, I'm going to need God to bring a breakthrough somewhere for me to be able to do that. So I'm going to do that because it's my first fruit and then I'm going to trust him for that. That's the biggest and most challenging decision we all make when it comes to giving. Because... We don't want to have that glass that's left over, do we? That's our fear. Well, I'm not going to have food to eat. I'm not going to. Well, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm not going to be able to pay my rent or my mortgage or whatever those things are. But if I trust in God and put Him first, man, He's a different economy. And, and you'll never. I could probably easily pass the mic around. You don't have testimonies of when God's provided in your life at different times. And so I want to encourage you to 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 not get uh, not get afraid, but have faith and trust. So Paul argues that Abraham is the father of all who believe, regardless of ethnicity. That's important too. So it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for a certain people group. It's for all of us. And this supports the words of our Lord at his ascension when he told the 11 disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, not just the Jews, not just the Solomon Islanders, not just the Aussies, what else we got here? Not just the Filipinos who need to go to work. Who need to go to work in, well, two minutes ago. She needed to go to work. Uh, it's, it's not about that. But all are called. As baptism follows conversion as a sign of union with and commitment to Jesus Christ, so with Abraham, circumcision followed as an outward sign of the righteousness that God had poured into him. And so Abraham was uncircumcised at the time he was justified. So uncircumcision was not a barrier to the Gentiles. So just because the Gentiles didn't practice that didn't mean they couldn't have the blessing of God poured out into their life. See, the faith of Abraham was a faith in the promise of God to make him the father of many nations. That was the promise that God spoke over him. And this faith glorified God because it called attention to all the resources of God that would be required to fulfill it. So Abraham was too old to have children. Sarah was, was barren. Not only that, how do you turn a son or two into many nations? You can appreciate what was going through their minds at the time. This is what God promised them. It all seemed totally impossible. And God's up there going, right, you finally get it. It's impossible in your strength. But I have the resources that you need to do what I've called you to do. 
So Abraham's faith glorified God by being fully assured that he could and would do the impossible. I don't know how you've walked into the room today, uh, whether you're facing a situation where you simply just don't have the resources. And I'm not just talking money, I'm talking about any aspect of a miracle that you need. Maybe it's health, maybe it's a relationship that's broken. And, and you just don't have the faculties or the resources or, or the presence of mind or the wisdom to know what to do to fix that situation. So you're lacking in resource. But you've come into church today and God wants to say to you, I have unlimited resource. I have exactly what you need. And, and, and it may not look like it right now because you're in the fire pit and everything's piling on you and, and everything's just getting harder and harder. But please, God's just imploring you to put him first. Take your eyes off of your problems, off of your bills, off of your broken relationship, off of your broken body. Put them on me and allow me to breathe into your life. Such a peace, such a knowing that you know that you know that you know that it's going to be okay. God wants to encourage you today, Jeremy, as you come. God wants to encourage you today that he is here. He hears you. He sees you. He knows what you face. There's no surprise for him. He's at the beginning of time. He's at the end of time. He knows what's happened. He knows what's coming. There's, time doesn't limit our God. So he knows where you're at. If you feel like you're alone and broken and, and nobody understands the situation you're in, he does. And I want us today, if you're online or if you're in the room, just for a moment, I want us to turn our attention to Jesus Christ again. You might say, oh, pastor, I always do that. And, you know, no, no. Anita's already said it today. We didn't collaborate. We need a fresh revelation of what Christ has done for us. Let's not get familiar with what Jesus has done before, but let's get excited about what he's doing and what he's about to do. And it's a new thing in each and every one of you. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to come to a close. Talk with Javita. Just tell Jeff and me. It's Pastor Jeremy's fault. They'll understand. They'll understand. <laughs> uh, this has spoken to you today and you just need a fresh revelation of Jesus in your circumstance and, and you need to develop that just that re resilient trust in him again just lift up your hands where you are and I want to pray for you this morning I want to believe for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in and through your life in and through your situation I, I just want to believe that each and every I'm going to dare to believe you're going to leave this room knowing that you know that God has got this God has got this situation. God has got this challenge and it's under control. It may not look like it, but that's what faith is. Believing in that which we don't see. Father God, many hands raised across the building, across the room. People online at home responding. I just pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would touch. That your Holy Spirit would minister. God, you know the right comfort to bring, the right words, the right, you know, I'm just, who am I? I'm just a man, but God, I know you, and I know that you are faithful. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to move powerfully in our lives. God, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us confidence, give us an assuredness in our faith that you are for us and not against us. Nothing is too hard for you. And so, God, we lift up every situation, every need, every challenge, and we declare the name above every name, Jesus, over every situation. 
God, that you would provide, that you would move powerfully, and that you would send your Holy Spirit to breathe on us again. Breathe life into us again. Encourage us again. Father God, give us a revelation of your Son again. We're hungry for you, Jesus. So move in our lives. Move in our hearts. Move in our church. In Jesus' name. haven't surrendered your life to him we do this in pretty much every meeting at Vineyard we give people an opportunity to connect with Jesus now everyone in the room can be saved for all I know but I don't know and so if you need Jesus if you need to surrender your life to him if you're online and you need to respond please respond if you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior if you've been living your life for him and maybe you've gone away maybe you've taken a different direction you've taken the reins back and you've taken the control yourself, but you know that Jesus needs to be in control. Or maybe you've never done this before and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Can you just lift up your hand? We're going to pray as a church all together, but we're going to pray with you and for you. And we're going to pray together and believe for Jesus to move powerfully in your life. So if that's you and you need Jesus, lift up your hand. Respond at home. I can't see you in your living room, on your toilet, wherever you are watching this. <laughs> but you can respond because it's not about... That all it's about is your response. It's about your heart response to the move of God. And so church, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died for us. You conquered sin and death. You broke every chain, every chain of sin, every chain of addiction, every chain created by bad choices. And you make me free. I make you my Lord. I want to live for you all the days of my life. And so I trust in you and you alone. And live for you. And I will serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.